We're going to uh, read a scripture this morning from Acts 17. So if you've got your Bible or if you use an app, Acts 17, verses 22 to 32. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, ESV. Uh, If you don't have a Bible with you, it's going to be up in these monitors here, no worries. Acts 17, and the verses are 22 to 32. So Paul standing in the midst of the Areopagus, says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods in the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent." because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but some joined him and believed, among whom were also Dionysius and the Areopagite, and a woman named Demarius, and others with them. Let's pray as we have received God's instruction through the reading of his scriptures. God, I thank you for your words this morning. I thank you for this place where we're able to gather. This is your house. We are your people. And the words we have just heard are your words to us. Father, may our hearts be open to receive what you have for us today. May our attitudes be full of grace as we seek to understand evangelism and interact with each other on this and grow in the way that you would have us grow. God, we're willing to be uncomfortable if necessary. We're willing to yield to your correction in our lives where you see fit. But I ask that you would give us discernment to see what is from you and what is our broken human nature. May the words that you have for us this morning shine through all the other stuff that clouds our minds. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. At Youth for Christ, we're trained to follow a pattern for evangelism. And it's a simple pattern that uh, all of us are asked to do. uh, And it's a formula that we use to share the gospel. Basically, firstly, we listen to your story and seek to understand it. So we listen in order to understand what you're telling us. This means that I can't get offended by what you say. Uh, It means I have to be experts and understand how to listen. And uh, it means that I need to build an atmosphere where you feel safe and comfortable enough to talk to me in the first place. 
The second thing I'm going to do is tell you a little bit about my story. And this means that I have to be vulnerable. It means that I must be emotionally healthy so that I can tell that story. And I'm, I have to have dealt with my own past as well. It means that I have to also be conversant in my faith and be able to, in other words, explain why I believe what I believe. Lastly, we tell the story of Jesus Christ. And as we do that, we look for areas where all three of those stories interact. And thereby, Jesus becomes relevant to your life and to mine at the same time. And we all have something in common. That's called three-story evangelism. And this pattern actually surfaces in this passage that we just read here. In Acts 17, Paul is actually doing a similar thing to three-story evangelism when he speaks to the people at the Areopagus. Now, the Areopagus, also called Mars Hill, is just a rocky outcropping in Athens. It still exists today. We know where it is. You can go and you can walk around there if you're visiting in Athens. Basically, people would go for thousands of years. People have gone there and they, they would sit on these uh, rocks, and they would talk about philosophy and politics and religion, and they would be all intelligent and smart, and they would kind of, I'm sure there was a little bit of one-upsmanship going on. So Paul work, walks through this area, and he observes what is happening. He looks around, and, and after he's looked around for a while, he begins talking, and the first thing he does is he acknowledges the story that he sees that these people are telling them about himself as he walks through there. And this is in verse 22 and 23. He says, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Interesting. He looked at what was happening. He listened to them talking first. He interpreted what he was seeing. He didn't get angry or offended by all of these carved idols. He was smart, and he paid attention to the details of what he saw. He was also willing to speak up, even though it was uncomfortable for him. Now, he doesn't say in the passage that he was uncomfortable, but we know he's uncomfortable, and we'll get to that in a couple minutes with some supporting passages. Secondly, he goes on to talk about the pieces of his own understanding that he has that overlaps with what they see. So he starts talking about the things he's observing in verse 24 and 29. In those verses, he says, God made the world and everything in it, which is something that he agrees with. God gives us life and breath and everything. God made all the nations. God is not far from any of us. And God is not made of gold or silver or stone. These are all things that he observed in their story that's also part of his story. And so now they have something in common, and he's done this within the first few sentences. Lastly, he tells the story of Jesus in verse 30 and 32. He says, a righteous man has been appointed. He was raised from the dead. And if we repent, assurance will be given to all who ask. Thousands of years ago. It's a formula that can still work today. The ending of this story also shows a classic evangelism ending. Uh, in early July, when I spoke before, I mentioned that there's basically three ways that an evangelism conversation is going to end. Either they're going to reject what they hear, or they're going to ask more questions, or you're going to be discipling somebody. And so, verse 32, uh, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Okay, those are the ones who rejected. Others said, we will hear you again about this. Those are the ones who are asking more questions. 
And uh, then it says in verse 33, so Paul went out from their midst, but some men joined him and believed. Those are the ones who he went on to disciple. And actually, one of them is described as an Areopagite. I don't know what that is. I'm assuming that's probably somebody who hangs out there a lot, right? And, and so somebody who'd even been there for quite a while now had begun to believe. I'm a bit sad to say this, but the first scenario where he was rejected is the most common scenario. See, Satan hates the gospel because it exposes that he has been defeated. Some of you have a perception that I'm some kind of evangelism pro, that I hit home runs all the time when it comes to evangelism. And I'm telling you, it's not like that. I'm going to share a story with you today that I haven't shared with very many people. I need to warn you, it is not a feel-good story. It's messy, and it's emotional for me. And I need you to know that it ends with death. I don't tell you this story because I want pity or because I'm trying to sensationalize evangelism. I'm telling you because I keep getting feedback that it's really hard to evangelize and people are afraid of things going wrong, and I want you to know uh, that I'm afraid too. And here's an example of what happens when things go wrong, and I want to let you know that you're not alone. 2018 started off wonderfully for the shop. Uh, that's the program that I direct in, in Newmarket for Toronto Youth for Christ, Youth Unlimited. We just emerged from our busiest year ever. There was about 75 students that graduated. There was more than 75 students that graduated from the shop that year. We had seven staff members. They were all kind of in their groove and they were operating smoothly. We have this system at the shop where uh, our, we have our staff members, our prime mentors, we call them, for one individual youth who goes to the shop. So if I'm a prime member for a youth, that means that I'm like the lead for that youth. So I'm the, the one who's most involved with them. We're all involved with our youth, and they come one at a time. They don't usually come in groups. So I'll be like the one-to-one -one worker with that person, although we all interact with them. Uh, I had 10 youth that, uh, that year who I was the prime mentor for, nine guys and one girl. I don't often mentor girls, but I made an exception in this case because this girl really needed a father figure, and she and I had quickly developed a trust basis, plus I have four daughters. Uh, I was also a foster, dad, a foster dad earlier for the Simcoe Children's Aid Society specializing in teen girls, so I, I was the best equipped and positioned to help this girl. Uh, we have large glass windows in all the rooms in our shop, and we have multiple staff on duty at all the time, so we have checks and safety controls in place to, for their protection and ours as well. The girl's name, uh, let's call her Sarah. She came from a Catholic family. Uh, it was a fairly well-adjusted family, uh, but old-time Catholic parents. Uh, they're a very rigid and kind of right and serious Catholic parents. Sarah got in fight with a girl at school over a boy, and she threatened them with a knife and had got herself expelled. Uh, she was working at the shop to get credit for community service hours that were required in order, order for her charges to be dropped. I had a great opportunity one day to share about Jesus with Sarah. She brought up this situation in her school where a teacher had gotten into a relationship with a student, and uh, we got to talking about what sets people of faith apart uh, from those who don't have faith in how they act. Uh, I shared with her that everyone messes up and that there was only one perfect man who ever walked, Jesus Christ. Sarah listened quietly, but she didn't say very much. 
I was pretty tired and I was busy, and I didn't feel like she was connecting very well with me. I wanted to tell her more, but I just, I didn't have that vibe, you know? I just didn't feel like it was right, so I dropped it. And I recognize now that I was actually prompted by the Holy Spirit in that moment, but at the time I didn't recognize it. So I just dropped it. What I didn't know was that Sarah was pregnant. She probably didn't tell me because she didn't know me well enough, and I don't blame her for that at all. I'd known her for a few months by that time, and I knew her well enough that I could see that there were things bothering her, but I didn't know she was pregnant. The following week, she had an abortion at the recommendation of some social workers on a mobile unit who visited her school. She didn't tell she, uh, anybody that she'd had the abortion at first. But then she got depressed, and she knew that something was wrong, so she told one of her teachers. Her teachers had her assessed and diagnosed with postpartum depression. Before her first session, she took her own life. <clears throat> I found out when I called the teacher to find out why she didn't show up for her shift. Obviously, I was traumatized. But to be honest, I have a great network of support at Youth for Christ. And I was able to mobilize a whole range of coping strategies. I have a spiritual shepherd, uh, and there's staff in our people development department who are very wise. I have a, a lot of good advice. And so I was able to cope and get back to work pretty quickly. I kind of buried myself in my work. Uh, I felt guilty about what had happened, but I knew it wasn't my fault. And even with a little bit of guilt, I was able to return quite quickly to full steam work. To be honest, when you work with a vulnerable population, you kind of get used to shocks like this. Death is rare at the shop, but life-changing moments are not. And so after a month or so, I hadn't forgotten about the incident, but I was certainly able to be functional and to carry on. I kind of rationalized my time of evangelism with Sarah as the best I could do at the time. Uh, but I was determined to do better next time. The next time came very quickly. Uh, a couple of months later, I was talking to Alex. Alex's prime mentor had just retired, and Alex had been attending the shop for many months, so I took over as his prime mentor. He and his family, Alex, were well known to our staff, and he was a frequent participant and was particularly vulnerable in a few areas of his life. Uh, I really poured into, really poured into things with Alex, let me tell you. Uh, I wanted to make up for lost time. He had a drug problem, and he wasn't very quiet about that. He also thought that God was kind of a foolish story that people had made up. So I gave it my best shot, and I asked him lots of point-blank questions that got him thinking about life after death, what makes us different as, uh, as human beings. You know, if I had to give myself a grade for the job I did, it was like an A+. I did a great job with this guy. We talked a lot. I did all the right things. <clears throat> but in the end, Alex's drug problem always seemed to win him over. And one day, in order to make money uh, for his drug problem, he started modifying guns and selling them as a way to get money. One of his deals went bad, he got in a fight, and he got shot. He didn't die right away. His friend drove him, of all places, guess where, to a church. And he died in the parking lot while the paramedics were attending to him. 
I find that this had happened from a news report on a television at a car dealership while I was making a presentation about donating cars. It was hard. I went for counseling. I took some time off. I also treated my family pretty badly for a while. Um, but I pulled through, and I found myself looking at their names up on the wall. We have this... Um, we have this space that all of our youth sign at the end of their time with us, and I could see their signatures up there. It just kind of made me feel better to do something, you know, for my own mental state. So again, with the help of my spiritual shepherd, I started taking some steps to deal with my grief. I'm not going to lie. Um, a lot of areas in my life suffered, including my relationship with my friends and people at my church. Uh, none of, it wasn't this church at the time, uh, none of those people really knew what was going on in my life. The few that I did decide to tell uh, didn't really catch the scope of the effect that it had on me, and so fortunately, God protected my marriage and my family relationships from any lasting damage in this. I found it hard to evangelize at all after that, so I stopped. My spiritual director told me it was better that I focus on healing instead of evangelism, and so I poured my myself back into my basic work tasks again, which is what I'd done before. But God had other plans for me. Another staff member at the shop had a girl uh, that she was mentoring, and this girl had a boyfriend named Alan, and Alan needed a job. I met with Alan only twice. Uh, I helped him polish up his resume. I sent a few job opportunities his way, and uh, he eventually got himself a job as a garbage man. The new guy... Uh, when a garbage man is working on a garbage truck, the new guy is the one who rides in the back of the truck, and he slings the garbage into the back of the truck. Uh, when it came to talking about God with Alan, I was pretty quiet. To be honest, uh, I didn't have it in me to have those talks anymore. I thought, you know, at the very least, I'm helping him by doing something nice for him, and maybe my witness is going to show through my actions. And who knows? God can do anything in people's lives, right? Whether or not I'm involved. As I said, Alan's girlfriend was also a shop participant. She had two children. One was a child she had existing. Uh, sorry, she had only one child, but she was pregnant with Alan's child as the second one. One day, while riding on the back of the garbage truck, he was critically injured in a grotesque industrial accident. And after a coma which lasted several weeks, he passed away, leaving his pregnant wife with no support. And even though I'm a paid professional evangelist. I never said a word to him about God. So, I began grief counseling. And with the permission of Youth for Christ, I went on a three-month sabbatical, which amazingly had been uh, pre-planned anyways. I don't know what I would have done without that sabbatical time. I might not have continued on in my job or in my church, I don't know. Some of my sabbatical was spent with my family, some was spent on my spiritual development, and some was spent in solitude. Actually, a lot was spent in solitude. Uh, I put almost 5,000 kilometers on my boat that year. Much of it alone in my boat while touring the Great Lakes. I have a lot of questions. I had a lot of questions for God. And it took me a lot of time to get answers. I'll be honest, it was hard. Eventually, I heard what God had to say to me about all of this. And as a memorial to that moment 
And to this lesson I learned, I tattooed a lighthouse on my arm. It reminds me of the one who guides me to safe harbor and keeps me from spiritually rocky shores. Okay. Occasionally, when I'm having a bad day, I still feel a bit guilty for not doing a better job in sharing the love of Christ with Sarah and Alex and Alan. I suppose it's only human to feel that way, right? I've become more accustomed to processing the grief from my past, and now, apparently, I am able to share it with people, if only barely. My point in telling you all this is to share that things don't always go the way we want them to. But that's the case in life, not just evangelism. However, it often happens in evangelism. Friends, there is not a lot of time left. Now is the time. Wherever the Apostle Paul was, he was always willing, always willing to share the good news, whether he was in prison, whether he was at church, or whether he was at the Areopagus. For me, I always seem to have a reason that makes evangelism hard. Even me, the professional evangelist, finds it scary thinking about how I might face opposition or rejection. I cannot guarantee that you won't feel rejected sometimes, but that's okay because Jesus suffered the ultimate rejection, and he assures us that he will be with us. I can't guarantee that you won't sometimes feel like you don't have the answers, but that's okay because we can tell people that we will come back learn ourselves, come back, and have a discussion with them about the answers. I can't guarantee that there won't be a cost to you, emotionally, to evangelize. I can guarantee that as you practice, you'll become more conversant. I can guarantee that your own faith will be strengthened. I can guarantee that if you are feeling called to evangelize, and you can pick up the cross and bear it, that you will discover new life. It will be both the hardest thing and the most rewarding thing you have ever done. I call you to that right now. I challenge this church to become the place in Bradford that people think of when they want to find God because they know that we're all conversant in our faith and want to show the pathway to everlasting life. We can do this through individual conversations, promise grants, monumental the Ology, Street Meet and Greet, Sunday Services, Carrot Fest, Adopt-A-Street, other future ideas that I know are brewing in your head right now. But imagine if we were the experts on evangelism, how God could change Bradford through Promise Church. Just think about that. Uh, Matt was a volunteer that worked at the shop for about five years. He was a bodybuilder. Uh, one of these guys, you know, couldn't get his arms to hang straight. Huge, right? He was a firefighter and just this massive... Hulk of a man. I made the mistake one day of asking him what his gym routine was. <laughs> there goes like half an hour, and he was only talking about what he does with his legs, okay? <laughs> when people ask me about my faith, why shouldn't I be able to answer like a gym bro talking about his routine? If you have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that makes you a spiritual bodybuilder. You don't have to be a wonderful public speaker. Did you know that Moses, Moses was terrible at public speaking? Exodus 4.10, 
Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in times past, nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Moses. His brother Aaron had to do it all for him because he was so bad at it. If there's pieces of evangelism that you can't do, just do the pieces that you can. It doesn't have to be complicated. In fact, simplicity is better. I'm just saying, do what you can. I said in an earlier sermon that there's a popularized statement, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the called. And I was talking with somebody recently who was like, well, it's just that I'm so afraid, I won't know what to say, or it's going to come out wrong. And she said, like, I'm so scared that I'm going to sound like a dummy. And yet, this is someone who I happen to personally know has a profound testimony. I just shared part of my testimony with you. She has a profound testimony. It's a story of relationships and circumstances surrounding her faith journey that would be absolutely transformational to people if she shared it. Our testimonies are very powerful. But the enemy wants us to be unsure about ourselves and unable to share because he knows the transformative power that those testimonies hold. 2 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, this is Paul writing now. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but God's power. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. I came in weakness with fear and trembling, not with wise and persuasive words. Like, what? This is Paul. It, I mean, if Moses couldn't do it well, and Paul felt he couldn't do it well, don't set this expectation that you must have it all figured out before you start sharing the story of Jesus Christ. Start anyway. It's like waiting until you have enough money to get married. It's just never going to happen. My coworker Aaron says that evangelism is like starting your first job. The first day is hard because you really don't know what you're doing, okay? Or it's like a first date, you know? It's like awkward and you don't know what to talk about and that, that's what it's like in the beginning. It's nerve-wracking. But then Cherish said to me in a conversation this week, she said, maybe our fear could be what shows people that we're speaking to a message that is important. Enough so that, that you're going to say it even though it's hard. Isn't that an interesting thought? Sometimes we think that a demonstration of weakness, that we think that it's a demonstration of weakness to us, but it could actually be the cue to people that we understand that this is important enough to have to push through it. And even though there's strong feelings, we still have to communicate it. Matthew 16, 24 to 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever will be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? It's risky. Taking up your cross in the first century meant risking your life. Generally, we're not going to be risking our life talking about Jesus, and not in this country. But Jesus said, this is how you find life. It's hard for me, and it's hard for you to evangelize. We'll always find a million reasons not to do it. 
but we were bought with a price. Let us glorify God in our bodies, shall we? Ecclesiastes 12, 13. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commands, for this is the duty of all mankind. The shorter Westminster Catechism. Question number one, what is the chief end of man? And the answer, to glorify God. And I submit to you that evangelism is the way to do that starting today. This is the place. We are the church. You are the chosen. Now is the time. I got kicked out of two different universities and went back for training later as an adult. It's a good thing that qualifications don't factor into Matthew 28, 19, the Great Commission, go ye thereforth, because I'd be useless if that was the case. Fortunately for all of us, Paul sums up how God qualified us in kingdom terms in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Young and old, he qualifies us all, and he will qualify you too if you let him. This is the place we are the church. You are the chosen. Now is the time. Listen to Paul here in 2 Corinthians 10, 1, defending his ministry. He's writing to the church in Corinth, which is a city uh, in Greece, I think. Yeah, Corinth is in Greece. And he says this, uh, 2 Corinthians 10, 1, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. I, Paul, who am timid with face to face with you, but bold toward you when away. Timid, he self-identifies as timid. Then in verse 4, he says this, The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So maybe he's timid. We established that already. But he's also prepared to take hold of the questions answer them, demolish arguments that set themselves up, and take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What does that mean? Actually, that's a slack question. What does it mean to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? What does it mean to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? For those of you who are new, if you are joined with us on Slack, you can interact at this point and put some of your answers in. Evangelism is not predictable. Opportunities sneak up on you. Be prepared to have the Holy Spirit prompt you. You'll get this feeling that it's a good time to say something, just like I did when I was talking about Sarah. You have this feeling that it's a good time to say something. Be conversant in your faith. People need to rehearse things. I rehearse things all the time. If I'm talking to you, and it's an important conversation, I've actually probably said it out loud already <laughs> to myself or in the car while I'm driving or to a wall. Converse, say things out loud and practice them. It Literal rehearsal makes things easier to talk about when the time comes. Uh, I call it a talk track, okay? This is a, a Mark Dean euphemism here, a talk track. I now know exactly what I'm going to say. Um, so a talk track, interestingly, uh, was taught to me by my counselor when learning how, to, uh, learning how to deal with foolish people. Basically, what he said was, um, like, know what it is you want to say, the message that you want to say. Think through and rehearse 
what you're actually going to say. And then no matter what happens, even if things go completely haywire, you know what your talk track is. You know what it is that you're going to say. And even if you have to go, okay, listen, I just have to say one more thing. And then you say your piece, you know that you've accomplished what it is you set out to accomplish. Corey suggested it would be helpful for us to practice evangelism together. Uh, I don't know, Rob, maybe there's something here as a next step for us. I, I'm not sure. Uh, and then there was someone in this group that wanted to start a, a group. Okay, it was Michaela Stratzma. <laughs> she posted this message, and, uh, and she wanted to start this group of moms to practice sharing the good news, a group of moms. Uh, Frank was the third person to sign up. But, you know, it's, it, there's something there. Practice is a great idea. It helps us get over that initial nervousness. Uh, we could all get together. You can do something, have a movie, or watch a movie. Any, any movie you want to watch, and then practice evangelism. <laughs> I was talking to someone last week, and she said I could share this. I have permission to share this. She said she was worried when she shared Jesus uh, that she sounded so awkward. Did you know I sound awkward to you, according to me? But you don't always necessarily sound awkward to the person that you're speaking to. You can battle that by becoming conversant in turning acts of kindness into a faith-filled conversation. And then if people are open, you can share the verses that lead to Christ and ask them if they're ready to talk about that. I'm telling you, it's simple than most people think at first. In the early 1990s, I used to hate doing budgets. I really did not like budgets. Math was not my subject is kind of how I felt. And then uh, somebody hired me and put me in charge of a Walmart store, and they paid me a salary to do some work there. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, they said, oh, by the way, you need to make a budget for this store. The paycheck was my motivation in that case. But now I love budgets, and I teach all sorts of people how to do budgets. Decide to be the person that people look up to in evangelism. Make that decision. Can you imagine if that's the reputation that this church had? We're all the experts on evangelism. Promise is where the Holy Spirit is making transformation happen. All of Bradford knows the promise people. We're real, man. We can talk about this stuff. How can people know if I don't tell them? Romans 10, 14. Uh, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? Let's take a look back at the Slack question. Uh, someone says... Uh, Take every thought captive to give back to God anything that is not glorifying to God. I like that. Take every thought captive to give back to God. As an act of giving, that's almost like an act of worship, taking every, every thought captive. That's like it becomes something that you do for God. We practice and intentionally prepare to do many things in life. Why not practice this too? It is so important. That's true. If you think about all the daily practices that we have, to add to that the practice of taking every thought captive. For me, it almost felt like a way for me to overcome, uh, right? I am going to take this captive. It is now my prisoner, and I'm going to make my thoughts obedient to Christ. I like that. I used to say that I didn't want to offend people when I evangelized, but really my problem was that I didn't know how to be effective in sharing the gospel. 
I'm just going to close with this. Um, If you're still fearful, I want you to know that it's natural to be fearful, talking about hard things. You're not alone, and although it's natural, it is overcomable. And I actually want to start by helping you, by praying for you. So let's finish while I pray for you, and if you're struggling because you're fearful, entering into evangelism, then this prayer is for you. Bow your heads, please. Father, we know that the war is won, and you are the victor. And so we claim that victory now. If there is any evil influence in our lives that is separating us from you, then I pray in the name of Jesus Christ that we would be released from that influence, and we invite the Holy Spirit to be present in that space. Jesus, we invite you to work through us, to give us wisdom beyond our years, to give us discernment and kindness and understanding and grace, protection, perseverance. We desire to serve you, Father, through evangelism, and we need you to give us today our daily bread so that we can do this. We need you to equip us uniquely according to our need, according to our giftings, and to strengthen our resolve and build our faith and grant us an extra measure of knowledge to be sensitive and wise, even if we're not gifted in this way. Help us to be attentive to one another, to build each other up in this area as a church. Turn our eyes toward you, Lord. Renew in us a right spirit. Father, I pray that we would have the heart for the things that you have a heart for. We think of the song uh, by Jim Nolson, May the things that break Jesus' heart break mine. Amen. Next week, Pastor Rob is going to be talking to us about the spiritual burden, spiritual burden of evangelism, and how to cope with that. Uh, In the meantime, may God fill your days with brevity and joy as you seek to evangelize. Peace be with you. Have a good morning.